Have you ever seen someone and instantly just thought, mm, I really want to know you? Usually, this is because we will see someone that just makes us go, mm, you're really attractive. Of course, that's in our mind. We're not out here just drooling and panting at them. However, thanks to technology, we can shoot our shots and let somebody know we find them attractive in so many different ways. When a Facebook notification went off on Alice Ruggles' phone, she had no idea of the world she was about to step into. She had just gotten back from a holiday with some friends in Sri Lanka who had taken several photos and decided to post them online. So this notification that Alice had received was actually a comment on one of these photos. Quotes, She is the most naturally beautiful woman I have ever seen. This was a comment meant for Alice, staring her back in the face. It was left right there on one of the photos from her holiday in Sri Lanka with her friends. Naturally, Alice was kind of curious as to who said this about her because she didn't know the person. So she clicked on his little picture and was instantly greeted by his name on his page, Harry Dillon. He was a rather good looking man, tall, dark, and handsome. It was really evident by his photos that he took really good care of himself. Alice thought by his looks, he must be a nice guy. I mean, he said such a nice thing and he looks like one. Looks can be deceiving, which is something Alice would come to know. She really believed that he had to be a nice guy. He left such a thoughtful comment about a stranger. So Alice decided to reach out and introduce herself, you know, kind of get that ball rolling that he threw into her court. Alice stepped up to shoot her shot. She really had no idea of knowing that when she sent that very first message to Harry, her life would end up changing forever. And then it would end. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, welcome to this episode of What the Actual Laugh, where I tell you the disturbing story of the stalking of Alice Ruggles. Try and calm down, try and breathe. Oh. Have a shot, just try and breathe. Oh, please help me. I know, how old is oh. Alice? She's only 23. I mean, you're just coming. I'd like to be an absolute psychopath. Alice was loved by many. Her friends and family have all described her in pretty much the same way, completely outgoing, beautiful, hardworking, and caring. She could apparently charm anyone with her incredibly sharp sense of humor. Wherever Alice went, she quickly would make friends. There wasn't really a stranger anywhere for her. She had a way of putting people kind of at ease and comfort around her. She would make jokes and cause them to laugh bringing down any sort of mood and allowing them to feel as though this was a safe space and she was a safe person. She just made people feel as though they had known each other for years and that they were comfortable. Alice was born on December 24th of 1991. She was born to Sue Hills and Clive Ruggles. She had two older siblings, Nick and Emma, and a younger brother by the name of Patrick. The family of six were extremely close, even as the kids grew up and moved out of the house. They stayed in extremely close contact. I guess they used the app WhatsApp, oh, like a lot. I don't know, I don't use it, but they did and they were always talking. Side note, I just wanted to say one thing. I always wonder if I go missing, if people are gonna notice because like I have my dad and my two boys and my son's father. And that is all. So if I go missing, it would be several days of people being like, she's not posting. Oh my God, her dog hasn't been fed. Where the fudge is Harmony? I will literally not respond to people for like four days at a time because either A, I look at my phone and in my head, I sent you a message, but that message never actually was even written and sent out. So I don't know why you haven't responded to me. Therefore, you're not ever getting a message from me until you're like, oh my God, hey, I exist, Harmony. And I'll go, oh my God, shit, I never wrote back. Or 
inevitably days will go by and I'll call you and be like, what the heck? Are you alive? And then you'll be like, yes, I sent you a message like a week ago. Never heard from you. So if I go missing, no one's going to know for too long. However, it would be different with people like Alice, who it was pretty instant. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I tend to do that often. Alice and her siblings were raised in Leicester. I'm not sure, Leicester? I'm honestly not sure if I'm saying this correctly. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, Leicester? I honestly don't know I'm trying. I listened and even, even, I, I can't get some of these names correctly in other countries because accents and I don't want to try an accent to say them as I heard them because that just feels really offensive to me like I'm trying but the effort doesn't it, it doesn't transfer it would seem rude so I apologize for butchering any names as this is over the pond that, that was probably offensive I'm sorry now they were located in a quiet little small village called Turlington when Alice was 18, she attended Northumbria University. This was located 200 miles of Lancaster, <clears throat> the L-Town. Now, she chose this school mainly because of its renowned fencing team. Alice actually excelled at fencing, loved it so much, and was so good at it. She then graduated from the university in 2014 with a degree in product design engineering. As soon as she was also out of university, she got a job with the UK broadcasting company Sky, and this was at Newcastle. At least I can say that one. Alice would end up moving into an apartment or a flat in Gateshead. This is a rather large town located on the opposite side of the River Tyne from Newcastle. Once Alice was here and situated and in her job, she was prospering and thriving. She quickly grew to love this life in Newcastle, and she was about to love it even more. Because Alice is about to fall in love. Tryman Dillon. Tryman would actually begin going by Harry Dillon, which I'm going to call him throughout this podcast because it's just what he's referred to in many of the resources and media, articles, everything. Just know his real name is Tryman. When Harry moved to the UK, he was originally from India. He was an only child and raised in a pretty religious household. The Dillon family moved often as a result of Harry's father's position in the service. When Harry ended up graduating from high school, he went to a university to pursue a degree in strategy management. I meant to say management, and for some reason my mouth said management. I, I don't know. As a part of the degree that Harry was going for, he was given the opportunity to study at Queen Margaret University in Edinburgh. So he was pretty amped about this because he wanted to see what a new life outside of India would be like. And of course, he wanted some time away from his very religious, although extremely well-off, family, especially his parents. Harry jumped at the chance to study abroad. He embraced the life in the West, particularly enjoying the social scene. Free from the watchful, ever-lurking eye of his parents and their incredibly strict religious constraints, he would then go out clubbing and just enjoying this new life that he had never gotten to before. He began drinking rather heavily on nights that ended in the dark because it was nighttime, sun was gone. That means he drank a lot, okay? My jokes are bad, I get it. 
Also, he wouldn't do this particularly alone. Mm -mm, he was kind of what you would call, well, when I was young, a player, and now what is referred to as a fuckboy. Yeah, he always had like a different woman every night. Just was like, mm-hmm, you pretty want to come on with me? Sweet! And they would do the horizontal mumbo jumbo, horizontal mumbo jumbo, the horizontal tango, what the fuck? Anyways, it was this kind of behavior, though, that his parents would never, ever approve of, you know, like out drinking every night, having countless women come home. That was a mm-mm for them. However, he wasn't really concerned about them ever finding out because, well, they weren't around. They were far, far away. Now, once he did graduate the university, he decided to enlist in the British Army. A few of the representatives for the service actually came to recruit people while he was at Queen Margaret University, and he was just like, you know what, that sounds really fun. I think I'm gonna sign up. While in the army, Harry actually rose to the rank of Lance Corporal. His first tour of duty was in Afghanistan, and he served in a non-combat role. Now, of course, as you remember, his father was also in the military, so this was kind of like a, this is really good. His parents love this. And we're still none the wiser to the fact that their son was a playboy. However, Harry was about to be tamed. And that's because he's about to see Alice. Just in case you, like, weren't following along. <laughs> I got you. He took her to places. He bought her presents. He was trying very hard. He was a real gentleman. He didn't seem malicious at the time. As the relationship moved on, strange things started happening. She started to lose friends. He used all sorts of things to persuade her. She didn't have enough money. She shouldn't go out. She started to lose weight. She started to lose self-confidence. She'd had to talk to him constantly. She couldn't wear what she wanted to wear. She could only wear what he thought was appropriate for her to wear. He was starting to control her. And all the time, what he was doing was gradually making her more and more dependent on him. While Harry was stationed in Afghanistan, he would regularly use Facebook. Kind of like his way with the outside world and to stay in touch with family and friends back home, you know, and just to like check up on stuff. He had friends all over, but mainly in India and Scotland, and this is how he could just be like, hey, how's life? How are things? What's up? This would lead us to October of 2015, when he was just scrolling through his Facebook and a friend's photo pops up. It's a photo of his friend and a beautiful girl. This girl had long, dark hair and a warm, kind smile. At least how he thought she did. And yes, she was beautiful. Alice was an absolutely beautiful woman, so he's absolutely correct. Instantly, Harry's like, you know what? I'm gonna go ahead and say something. Just maybe she'll see it. So he comments on the photo, writing about how beautiful she is and that he can tell it's just naturally there. Not that long later, guess who sends him a message? That's right, it's Alice. His little, mmm, she's a natural beauty, made Alice go, oh my god, I need to say hi. And he was like, fuck yeah, it worked, like shooting fish in a barrel. Honestly, I don't know, but he did leave the comment in hopes that she would see it. And she did, and she was like, I like that shit. From this point forward, Alice's life would never, ever, ever be the same. There was no turning back. The two began messaging each other back and forth every single day consistently. We all know what happens when you do that, right? You start to catch feelings. Those pesky damn emotions. Well, these messages would turn into video chattings. Remember, he's in Afghanistan and she's not. She's over in Newcastle, so, you know, they're getting deeper and deeper into this. For several, several weeks and several times in those weeks, they're messaging, they're video chatting, and they're talking. Harry was incredibly sweet and charming to her while online. He said everything sweet, sweet words that made Alice feel some type of way. She would end up falling for him rather quickly. Side note, if you don't know what this means, Harry Dillon was love bombing her. I know this as somebody who's dealt with this. It 
fucks you up because you're like oh my god this is so sweet this person's like they're super into me (laughs) no sweetie no they want you to be super into them yeah so they can latch on to you and then make you just not feel so good when harry did return to the united kingdom from afghanistan the two would finally meet in person for the very first time and instantly sparks flew they first spent an enjoyable week together in newcastle and then that quickly turned into a second week in edinburgh this is where harry's barracks were located but the two just kind of became inseparable i guess even more so than they already were However, Harry then returned to Afghanistan for his final tour of duty. He would be gone this time for two months. That was when his controlling behavior turned to stalking. She was worried someone had got into her phone um, and put some spyware on her Android phone. So I talked her through how she could get it all factory reset. And then things started escalating, which was when uh, Trimmon turned up at the house. There was this knock on her window. And when she pulled back the curtains, he was outside. And he'd just left a box of chocolates and some flowers on the windowsill and was backing off with his hands like this. Not very long after Harry got back to the UK in April, friends and families and co-workers began seeing rather massive changes in Alice. She seemed to no longer be her happy-go-lucky, bubbly, cheerful self. Usually, she was rather engaged and animated during conversations with others. But she had started to become increasingly distant and rather withdrawn. Many people noted that it seemed as though she could be around you, but she would be somewhere else completely and mainly in her head. She also began losing a lot of weight in a very short amount of time. This wasn't due to a diet, by the way. This seemed to be because she was mentally like dealing with something. Alice would no longer go out with her friends and became rather combative with her like roommates and people who would speak to her if they had any sort of issue or just would bring something up to her. If she didn't like it, she would be very like defensive. As a result, she actually ended up moving out of where she lived and went to live with one of her co-workers by the name of Maxine McGill. So at this point, she left her place in Newcastle and was moving over to Gateshead. It would become very clear to Alice's friends and her family that her new boyfriend, Harry, he was the reason for these changes happening in her personality, her behavior, and in turn, her life. As it turned out, Harry was far from this kind and thoughtful man that everyone had initially seen and was led to believe, including Alice. The guy she met online and initially knew was just, I guess, in theory. And the man that everybody had in their heads was what he wanted to portray. But you can only keep a guy's up for so long. In reality, he was possessive and controlling. He wanted control over every aspect of Alice's life. From what she spent any of her time doing to who she spent it with and what she spent it wearing. Harry did not like Alice going out or drinking or wearing any makeup or even dressing nicely or even kind of any slightly bit revealing. At least what he believed to be revealing. He would go through her text messages and her social media. Any and every time she spoke to another man, he would accuse her of flirting and even being disloyal, being all like cheatful. Cheating? Cheating. Full. He would say she was cheating. As a result, Alice became very, very isolated and often felt lonely. Like, you know, she no longer felt like this young, completely loved woman by her boyfriend. She felt alone and didn't understand why she couldn't talk to anybody at all without him being like, you're cheating on me. She was really confused and she didn't know who to talk to. 
The whole time, Harry was attempting to assert this, like, control over her. While he was doing all of this and messing with her head, he was actually using dating apps to flirt with other women and seduce them. He would regularly meet up with women that he would talk to online and just, you know, have regular sex with them, just casually like it was nothing. Which, hey, if you're in a relationship where you do that, I hope that your partner knows and I hope that you guys have some sort of agreement because I know that's the thing. But uh, Alice and Harry were not in that. He actually would make, though, no effort to hide all of this from Alice. In fact, he wanted her to know all about them. He wanted her to feel jealous. In late July, maybe like early August of 2016, a woman that Harry had been chatting with on this dating website reached out to Alice. Finally, Alice was like, you know what, this is, this is enough, I can't do this. So, she dumped Harry. She wanted him out of her life. She was done, she couldn't handle it anymore, and she just was like, I'm gonna peace out. Well, you know what? Harry wasn't going to accept that. And he would make it not difficult, but impossible. Twisting all the words of a story Before we dive in to talk about the downfall, the stalking, and the murder of Alice and Harry's relationship and just what all happens, I want to discuss narcissist and dating for a moment. I'm going to be honest and say that I am not a hero in everyone's story. In fact, if you were to ask many of my exes, I'd be the villain. I do have BPD, therefore I am unable to regulate my emotions correctly and am fueled by them. I am also speaking with a therapist and have been for a very good amount of time and I'm working on <clears throat> how to live with BPD and how to understand my feelings. I also have learned that I need to be out of certain situations or else splitting is something that I cannot have, I'm sorry, I cannot help but happen because I'm not in a safe mind space. I will split with my BPD as certain emotions will engulf me. Now, all that said, I have had my fair share of interactions with narcissists. Please know I am by no means stating that I have horrific exes that are this, but I do know for a fact that two of my exes are. I don't want to degrade anyone, so therefore I'm not going to share my personal experiences, but I will allow you some information on how to tell if you could be interacting with a narcissist as we see a lot of things in society, especially in media, where it's okay for your partner to say and do certain things. In fact, we laugh at these things. We often see men in sitcoms and movies refer to their partners who are female as like balls and chains and how like, I have to go home to the wife now. <sighs> and the audience goes, ha ha, you get it? Because his wife is such a pain in the ass. He fucking hates her. It's not hilarious. That's not hilarious. And that's not how it's supposed to be. However, the narrative that the person closest to you and you love more than anything in the world is supposed to be someone apparently you just kind of hate secretly is pushed on us. So here's what I want to give you as information to take with you and digest, let marinate, and bring forward into your life. These little bits of information can help you, I guess, stop yourself from getting too deeply involved with someone who could be a narcissist, even a covert covert narcissist which means it's not as apparent as well one who's very <laughs> open and out there with it when you initially get involved with the narcissist they're going to do something known as love bombing 
This is where basically they seem as though they're incredible and all they want to do is lift you up and give you any and everything that you could ever imagine. They will also use sweet nothings in their words like, I feel as though I've known you my whole life while showering you with gifts. They'll tell you how you have such a special connection. They'll make so much time for you. Telling you how their life wasn't really what it is now until you and how you open their eyes, how you're possibly their soulmate. It's all how you're this and that and how incredible you are because they want you to feel good and lift you up and make you trust them. And then comes devaluation. You see, once you have been sufficiently love-bombed and you attach to them and you are now their source, they have to make you feel dysregulated. You know, you have to wonder what you're doing that could make you lose them. Although they're going to make you feel as though, <clears throat> no, you're crazy. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not doing that. That's exactly how it goes. They're going to say things like, you're too sensitive. That sounds like a you problem. I didn't say or do that. You're being dramatic. Oh my god, do you really have to talk about this right now? It seems as though all you want to do is fight. Can't you just let it go? You're overreacting. Nothing I ever do is good enough for you. Oh my god, it's just not that bad. It's all in your head. You're just trying to start an argument. You're seriously making a big deal out of nothing. This is all signs that you are genuinely with a narcissist. As someone who has fallen deeply in love with a narcissist before, please get out. No, not all narcissists are going to kill you, but mentally they can destroy you. Sadly, in Alice's case with Harry, he would take her life. I think the biggest and most dangerous thing about narcissists is that you don't realize what they are until it's too late. I'll leave you with this before we go back to the story of Alice. If you're ever curious or ever wondering, if you would like to see how your partner genuinely is, show them the way they treat you back. Use the mirror effect. And if they don't like how you're treating them, hmm, maybe you guys should sit and discuss the relationship and if they can't have a healthy communication discussion about the relationship and how you feel and how they make you feel and you can't hear the same you don't need to be together but most of all the person you're with the person you love the person who says they love you that lays next to you that holds you that is vulnerable with you should always hear you should always be there and should be your safe space. And if they aren't, then you need to leave. We can get back to the story now. I just really wanted to help you live better through the mistakes that I've made and with the stories I tell you, the people that others get involved with. There are red flags and signs and please be on the lookout. And if you do things to people that aren't good, fix, fix it. If you become aware, we can fix ourselves. All right, love you. Let's continue. as though the harder that Alice tried to escape the clutches of Harry, the more he seemed to torment her. She was really trying to just like let go and move on with her life and he just made it so difficult. He began harassing her and tormenting her in the weeks following the breakup. He called her, he texted, he emailed consistently and constantly. What he would say and how he would be would change. Sometimes he would be pleading that he wanted her back and that he loved her so much he was going to change for her. 
other times, he was being manipulative. You know, he would try to guilt her into getting back together with him. He would just, like, start crying and, like, tell her that he was gonna kill himself and, like, she just didn't get back together with him. Because nothing says, let's have a true romantic love story than, like, you know, if we don't, I'm gonna fucking kill myself. <laughs> what the f***? That is not- that's not healthy. He also sent her extremely threatening messages. He said, you know what, I have these, like, really compromising photos of you, that's right, mm-hmm, guess what, I secretly took them of you so you had no fucking idea, but that's not illegal in any place, because, yes it is. And then he was going to just, like, post them online, if, guess what, she didn't agree to get back together with him, because, again, nothing says this is meant to be, like, the threat of, uh, if you don't agree to being with me, I'm just gonna expose your nude body on- uh, body? Bodity. Body online. Is a bodity like what I have? An odd body? Like you see it and you're just like, I can't look away. Why does she look like that? That's a bodity if I've ever seen one. <clears throat> I'm so sorry. Let's continue. So at first, Alice did try to be nice and she like let him down easily, which I feel like many people have been there. However, when she realized that this whole, like, easy path wasn't gonna work, she began to just ignore him. This enraged him. So he started calling her friends and her family. He pleaded with them to try and reason with her, knowing that Harry was nothing but bad news. They were like, hey, maybe you should just, like, <laughs> move on. You know let her go leave her alone you ever thought about that yeah mm, that's not what he was gonna do if you hadn't figured it out because he's just about to get a little bit worse and then it's gonna get a little bit more worse and then it's gonna get real fucking bad <laughs> what you say that we continue because this story is getting real fucked up And um, I just need a bit of advice, really, um, more than anything. I split up with my boyfriend about three months ago. Since then, I know that he's hacked into my Facebook and also my phone. He's been sending me a lot of messages, even though I've asked him not to contact me. And then tonight, he knocked on my bedroom window at the back of my ground floor flat. He's been outside and he, he's, like, left um, some flowers and chocolates on the, like, outside windowsill. And, like, he walked off. He's not done anything, but I'm concerned. And my friends have been telling me to call the police. I've been putting that off, but I just feel a bit like shaken up tonight. Alice began receiving letters from Harry in which he wrote poems about how much he loved her and how much he needed her. Then there were the more threatening letters in which he wrote things like, I am going to make you my fucking wife. Okay, he didn't say fucking, but he did say he was going to make her her wife. And that didn't sound like, you know, really sweet. Like, oh my god, I love you so much. I'm gonna make you my wife one day. No, because this was her ex-boyfriend that wasn't getting the hint, leave me the fuck alone. And he was like, I'm gonna make you my wife, bitch. You know, like, he really wanted her. And she really didn't want him. Harry managed to also get back into Alice's social media accounts, and he would read all of her private messages. This way, he knew where she was going and who she was talking to. In early September, he found out through Alice's Facebook that she had begun to see somebody. And this someone was an army officer named Mike. Harry sent messages directly to Mike telling him how absolutely terrible Alice was. He said that Alice was still telling him, you know, Harry, that she was so in love with him and that, that he was like actually cheating. I'm sorry, not he. She was actually cheating on Mike with him. <gasps> what? Oh my god, that sounds crazy. <laughs> sounds crazy because it's fucking made up. However, he wanted to try to get Mike out of the picture so that way he could swoop in and be like, Oh my god, are you okay? That's so horrible, I can't believe he thought that. However, Mike knew about Harry and that he had been putting Alice through, well, absolute sheer hell. So he didn't take any of what Harry was saying seriously. Alice had actually met Mike while she was visiting her sister, Emma, in Germany. Right away, the pair hit it off. 
Alice's roommate or flatmate, Maxine, would later say this when it came to Mike. Mike had made her very happy. She told me that. She had a great couple of days with her sister and Mike. It was a strong bond between the two people. They got on like a house on fire. And she said that they had this banter between them that was unreal. And that's exactly how she put it. Alice's and Mike's relationship continued to thrive. All the while, Harry became even more jealous and in turn, even more obsessed than he already was. As you can tell, we're getting from that, oh, this is real bad, that's getting a little bit more bad, to, oh shit, it's about to get even worse. Hi there, and um, yeah, I, I've been in touch with the police. Uh, the, the, somebody's been issued with a pen so that they, they can't contact me. However, I've had a had a letter off them. And who was it from? Harry Dillon. So is that who the, the pen is against? Is this? Yeah, yeah. And uh, can I take your name? Yeah, it's, it's Alice Ruggles. It says at the bottom he won't contact. You know, this will be the last I hear from him. But he's, he's said that a lot of times, and it, he, he never does seem to stop. Uh, that, no, you want someone to contact you? Yeah, please. Okay. Alright, thank you. Yeah, On Friday, September 30th, it became evident to Alice just how unhinged Harry had truly become. That afternoon, he left a voicemail on her phone pleading with her to come back. And when she didn't call him, he made the two and a half hour drive from his barracks in Edinburgh to Alice's apartment in Gateshead, or her flat. Once he was there, he rang the doorbell several times, and then he hid. A few hours later, he climbed over the wall into the backyard and knocked on Alice's bedroom window. Terrified, Allison peeked around the curtain. On her windowsill was a box of chocolates and a bouquet of flowers. She did catch a minor glimpse of Harry, like backing away from the window because she was on the first floor, but it was rather quickly. Then he left another voicemail. He was trying to like, uh, he was trying to sound kind of casual and laid back, you know, like aloof. But you could hear it. He was rather desperate and uh, it was pretty apparent in his voice. He told Alice that he had realized that she didn't want to talk to him on the phone. So he was like, you know what, I'm going to drive to her instead. He thought it was a good idea to leave her some flowers and chocolates and just like say I'm sorry in person for, uh, well, not leaving her alone because that makes sense since hey i just wanted to come in person and tell you i'm sorry that i couldn't leave you alone not in person because i'm truly not crazy <laughs> you get that right tell me you get it you understand don't you understand please tell me you fucking understand <sighs> tell me you understand that sounds insane i mean i don't know what else to expect from him because we're gonna find out just how truly truly crazy he is so then the next voicemail that uh he leaves Alice is going to send shivers up many people's spines because he begins saying things like, you said that guys like me end up killing people. It's almost like he was starting to kind of convince maybe even himself that he wasn't really a psychopath. He began repeating over and over again, I don't want to kill you. I'm not intending to kill you. I don't want to kill you. I don't want to kill you, Alice. I'm not intending to kill you. I don't want to kill you. He ended the ominous voicemail with an abrupt, have a good night. Say what? Oh my god. Fucking, I don't think so. That's fucking terrifying. Male or female, you're gonna sleep with your fucking gun that night or a weapon because what the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? No, thank you. On the night, he then sent her a couple of voicemail messages. One of those said in it, I'm not going to kill you. Why would you think I'll kill you? I wouldn't kill you. Although he was talking about it in the negative context, you know, I'm not going to kill you. There's definitely a veiled threat. When he mentions not killing you about 10 times in this voicemail, which is really weird. At this point, Alice was scared enough as a result of the incident that occurred to call the police. For too long, she had basically put it off. She had people around her saying, you should probably let the cops or the police know that stuff like this is going on and he's not leaving you alone, although you've asked him. 
She had been trying to, I guess, like play everything down so she wouldn't maybe scare herself. So for her to take the step was a lot. Harry had, after all, crossed a line when he drove all the way there, left the unwanted gifts, and terrified her by knocking on her window, waking her up because it was pretty late at night. She did call 101, which is the number for non-emergencies in the UK. Alice was shaken on the call and you could hear it. She did let her like best show that she was trying to be calm and polite, but you could hear she was rather scared. She also began apologizing for even calling as though she was like in the wrong or a bother for needing any anything. The operator told Alice that she could either hire a solicitor or take out an injunction, you know, like a restraining order or Harry could be issued with a police informative or information notice, which is known as a pin. A pin would mean that he comes near or contacts her, again, he would be arrested. Alice opted for the pin option. An officer came to Alice's home on Sunday, October 2nd. She had called on Saturday, October 1st, just after midnight. They reassured her that she was not wasting their time and that they took a statement from her and that if Harry contacted her again, the officer said to call them immediately. Alice was extremely relieved. For the first time in what felt like when what was actually months, she kind of had this ease. However, sadly, little did she know, this pin notice didn't constitute any formal legal action. It would do little to have Harry stop from harassing her. Sadly, the way that the pin was described to Alice was a bit misleading, and it would give her a very false sense of security. He really loved Alice. He'd never ever thought about killing her, and he left the flowers and chocolates there because he didn't want to kill her. And, and he kept mentioning killing her, I think it was about seven or eight times in the conversation. This is, is language which really does set, set my radar off. And Alice is the best judge of her level of risk. So she knows Dylan incredibly well. She knows that the patterns of his behaviour. And this incident is serious enough to have her calling the police. She really does feel in danger at this point in time. An officer from the Northumbria police called Harry's barracks in Edinburgh, asking to speak to the superior of Harry Dillon. The army superior was notified that Harry was being issued with a pin notice at the request of Alice Ruggles. However, the officer didn't actually ask to speak to Harry directly, which I don't know if that's usual. I found that a little odd, but like, I don't know if that's usual. However, he did ask to speak to and inform his superior of the pin, but not him. I don't know. I don't know how things work over there. I just thought that was a little odd. Another thing is uh, the police in Scotland near the Royal Military Police, they were also informed about Harry Dillon receiving this pin notice as well. However, there seems to be no real police involvement in communicating with Harry, which I don't know if that was just like kept out of the media or not, but that was just like really odd to me. It really kind of comes off as though Harry was just kind of being like, given a slap on the wrist and just treated as though this was just mild harassment and no one's really worried about it. Harry was told by his colleagues in the army and his friends, even his doctor, to maybe just stop contacting Alice. Literally, many people were like, just leave her alone. I think that's what's best. It's pretty unsurprising though that he completely ignored all of them. He would put packages together to send to her along with his little letters, some notebooks, some photos, a lot of stuff. His letters would either be very sweet and loving or controlling and manipulative and hostile where he would complain about the fact that, you know, she reported him to police and that they were not really coming to him but going to everybody else and this did bother him. He also was trying to make her feel guilty in all of these letters and of course his phone calls. He wrote stuff on his laptop and how he had that taken away including his iPad, all of which was actually untrue. None of the stuff was taken. 
taken, but he said that it was because of what she had told uh, the police. Even though, as we know, they weren't actually really doing anything. He finished often in these letters stating that I'm in a lot of shit now and I hope that you feel happy. I'm sending you everything I have that reminds me of you as long as you belong to another man. Wishing you two a happy life because I'll never come into your life again. Uh, that's a lie. We all know that he wasn't planning on going anywhere. Somebody's been issued with a pen so that they, they can't contact me. However, I've had a letter off them. So you are reporting like the picture, the picture of the pen. What was the nature of it? Was it like threatening or was it harassing? No, um, not threatening. It just, it's just saying that he, he knows I called the police on him and he's had everything confiscated. It says at the bottom he won't contact me. You know, this will be the last I hear from him. But he's, he's said that a lot of times and it, he never does seem to stop. After that second phone call, she was so depressed because she thought that the stalking was just going to go on forever. Alice jokingly said, oh, well, you know, what if he broke into my house and killed me? And I was like, no, no, that'll never happen. You know, there's me thinking this is ridiculous. Alice had been instructed by police to contact them if Harry got in touch with her ever again. Well, on October 7th, when she received a package, that's what she did. However, rather than focus on the fact that Harry had actually, in fact, violated this PIN notice he had been issued by contacting Alice, the operator was more preoccupied with maybe what was in the package. Like, you know, so what did he send ya? The contents shouldn't have been an issue. It was the fact that he had contacted her, which was violating the pin. Didn't matter if he sent her a million dollars and some squishmallows, it's the fact that he violated it. Alice did try to explain to the operator that while Harry said in his letter that he would not contact her again, he had said this so many times before. He was still though always contacting her again, no matter what she did or what he said. Dead. He seemed to be incapable of leaving her alone. The operator told Alice that he would have someone call her back to discuss what she could do next. I don't know if you guys heard that, my stomach just growled real loud. <laughs> it's almost lunchtime. Now, understandably, she was exasperated with this response. The fact that they were like, we'll have someone call you back, okay, sorry. However, she had called the police on Harry once before, and then again, he violated this pin. So maybe they were just like not grasping how afraid she was, but she was terrified. And sadly, she was still unaware, or sorry, not even unaware. No, I guess you could say unaware of how truly capable, desperate Harry was becoming, which means how many lines he was on the verge of crossing. It was also obvious that this pin notice was completely useless. Even Alice's roommate or flatmate would go on to say that with the amount of time she reached out to police to report him violating the pin and the fact that they didn't seem to do anything about it was a bit concerning. She basically warned them the whole time of what was about to happen and they just turned a blind ear to it and blind eye. Okay, I meant to say a deaf ear and a blind eye because they didn't listen when she called numerous times and they didn't care about the fact that he showed up and he gave her things and he was sending stuff. They just didn't care. However, as promised, Alice did receive a call from a police officer later that day about the next course of action. On the call, Alice was asked if she would like Harry to be arrested. She said she wouldn't like that in a sense because uh, she just didn't, she was too nice. She was like, no, I just don't, I want him to stop. The officer handling Alice's case should have looked at the information that was given previously as well and made a better decision, not just asked her like in a roundabout way, what do you want us to do about it? They should have been like, hey, this is kind of getting borderline dangerous and we should step in. That is literally their job. Alice was trying to play the situation down in her head. She didn't want to come off afraid and desperate. She also didn't want him to really be arrested. She really, really, really wanted him to stop and she was hoping the officer would get that, but it just didn't really come off like that. And basically when she called again and again, she would just be told, you just gotta deal with it yourself. And dealing with Harry herself would ultimately end her life. Please, I've just, I've just come back to my flat and the door was locked, so I crawled through the window and my flatmate's covered in blood in the bathroom. 
Is she breathing? I don't know. I can't, I can't look. I'm sorry. Okay, try, try and stay calm. Oh. Try and stay calm. What's your address? It's Rolling Road. Is she covered in blood, did you see? Yes. Okay, bear with us two seconds. <coughs> Alice! You're doing really well, Maxine. Yes, the police are here. The police officer's there. Yeah. Okay. Um, close your phone down for me, Maxine. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Alice's roommate, Maxine, came home from work to discover the front door of their apartment or flat was, well, it was locked. When she realized she didn't have her key with her, she decided to climb over the wall into the backyard. She began calling around for Alice to like see if she could come let her in. However, Maxine was unable to get a reply from Alice. Maxine did happen to notice that there was a window open that she could climb in through. Once inside, she was greeted by an absolutely horrific scene. There lays Alice on the bathroom floor. Blood was pulling all around her, and Maxine could tell almost immediately that Alice was definitely dead. Her skin had turned an almost translucent blue, and she was completely unresponsive. The source of the blood was a deep gash across her throat. Maxine called 999, and she told the operator that she had found her flatmate lying on the floor, quote, covered in blood. Now, while on the call, she also begins to mention Harry as the possible killer, even describing him as an absolute psychopath. The police and paramedics arrive at the apartment and Maxine's worst fears were obviously confirmed. Alice would be pronounced dead at the scene. The coroner would conclude that Alice died of catastrophic blood loss as a result of her carteret artery being severed, as in, you know, that massive throat gash that Harry just kept hacking away at, that's what killed her. Harry would be arrested in a matter of hours. This would go down at his barracks in Edinburgh. At first, he told the arresting officers he had no knowledge of Alice's death, but then the evidence began to turn and overwhelmingly implicate him. She'd accidentally stabbed herself through the nose with the knife. She'd accidentally cut her own forehead with the knife. And she'd accidentally slashed her throat open at least six times, causing that terrible and fatal injury. When he's being interviewed, he is just kind of responding in the moment and his, his stories don't stack up, that there's not evidence to support the version of events that, that he's putting across. As it would turn out, Harry had been sitting in his car outside of Alice's flat on the afternoon of October 12th. I know, we're all so shocked. He was waiting for Alice to return home from work. And as he sat there, he was also messaging another girl on Tinder. He was arranging to meet and have sex with her that very evening. And I'm not giving anyone strife. If you want to have sex with some random, totally do you. But like, also maybe don't murder somebody. That's all. So between the last text Alice sent Mike at 6.04 p.m. and Maxine finding Alice's body at 6.30 p.m. Harry would murder Alice. He then fled with Alice's phone and the knife, went back to Edinburgh to his barracks, and of course, once there, he would discard the knife and be, well, arrested. It really wasn't difficult for detectives to come to the conclusion that Harry was guilty of Alice's murder. His phone records put him in Gateshead at the time that she was killed. They discovered Alice's blood on his steering wheel in his car, not to mention all of his dangerous and obsessive behavior in the months that led up to the murder of Alice. 
The following day after Harry was arrested, he would be charged with Alice's murder. At his trial, he took the stand for two days. During his testimony, of course, he would lie about Alice and say that she actually attacked him with the knife and that they ended up in this, like, fight and wouldn't you know, that's how she got stabbed. He said that uh, she accidentally stabbed herself in the neck as she was trying to pry the knife away from him or he was trying to pry it from her. It like, it all happened so quickly. The account though that he was giving was absolutely insane and it didn't even match with the evidence and the jury was like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Despite describing the death of the girl that he supposedly was just madly in love with and couldn't be without, he just sat completely emotionless throughout the trial. You could clearly see that he didn't actually feel any remorse for what had happened. The jury would deliberate for less than two hours. They announced that they had come to a verdict and unanimously they found Harry Dillon guilty of Alice's murder. The judge would actually describe what he had done as utter barbarism. He would also quote this and say, not a shred of remorse have you shown from first to last. Indeed, you were concentrating so hard on getting your story right when given evidence, you forgot even to shed a crocodile tear. In April of 2017, Harry Dillon was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum of at least 22 years. And Trimmer had come and broken into the house. Climbed in through a window and he, he, he cut her throat in the bathroom. Alice was, was um, lying on the floor in the bathroom, coming in blood. Alice's parents, along with many, do believe that her death was preventable. Quote, we believe that her death was preventable. We find it difficult to comprehend that although Alice described in her first phone call to the police that she was being stalked and provided ample evidence, the police and the army were unable to support and protect her. So let's talk about a few of these mistakes that have been brought up in many resources that I found and people talk about this consistently where I guess you could say the case was just completely dropped. When Alice first called the police, that very first call was October 1st, they should not really have given her the option of issuing a pin or even contacting a solicitor. They should have made a decision for her. Otherwise, they should have at least given her maybe like some sort of recommendation as to which one is to like the best for her situation. They needed to better explain what issuing a pin actually meant because a pin was more so just a warning and didn't carry any legal weight. Although it sounded big and bad, it really meant nothing. It was also apparent that Northumbria police never took Alice's reports of being stalked by Harry very serious. If they did, they surely never really spoke to Harry about it, at least not directly. They didn't even notify him that he had been issued a pin. Instead, they went to his superior, hoping that they would notify him for sure. Like that's just, that seems like rather uh, spotty police work. The Northumbria police also should have notified the military police and the police in Scotland that Harry had been issued with the pin notice. This is what they're supposed to do. Alice should never have been asked if she wanted Harry to be arrested. They should have made the correct decision, especially over the fact that she had called them several times. He had violated this pin, which they pushed her to get, and of course said that we'll be there if he does anything. They needed to follow through. There was a serious failure on the part of the police. Despite all of the evidence, despite all of the proof of harassment, everybody knew it in her life. She was being stalked and tormented by her ex. However, the police took this as nothing very serious. At least not until it's too late. Sadly though, there was even more of a failure on the police's part here. Because during Harry's trial, it would come out that the army failed to record that Harry had a history of domestic assault. 
That's right. <laughs> this story is twisted because it really appears that not only were there warning signs that were headed toward Alice being in very real danger because of Harry, there was already warning signs that Harry was a danger already by himself. Mm-hmm, yeah, let's, let's just talk about this for a moment. In the fall of 2012, Harry had actually been in a relationship with an 18-year-old student named Aniko. He abused Aniko in the same way that he would later end up abusing Alice. Harry was very jealous and controlling, bringing her down with extremely cruel comments about her appearance and interactions with other men. Aniko became isolated from her family and her friends, as Alice also had. This is a very common occurrence when dealing with a narcissist. Aniko repeatedly tried to break off the relationship with Harry, but it was two years before she really even could get away from him. Harry even proposed to her during this time that she was, you know, not wanting him. Once Harry realized things were really over and Aniko had moved on, he began to stalk her. One day, he even approached her and her new boyfriend in the street and began hurling insults at them. Is this who you're sleeping with? I can't believe you would leave me for this. Why did you take my girlfriend away? Seriously, these are things that he was saying to them. When Aniko looked at Harry and said she was going to call the police, he turned around, spit in her face, and called her a bitch. Ooh, I would have fucking ripped the skin off of his fucking lips. I'm sorry, I would have. Yeah, I'd be in jail, but like, he spit in my face. What the fuck? Obviously, he was charged with assault, but after, he agreed to accept a restraining order, and the charge was dropped. After Alice's murder, Gateshead Community Safety Board carried out a domestic homicide review. The review concluded that Alice had been subjected to significant stalking. The review made 20 recommendations, including make it an offense to threaten to release intimate photos of an ex-partner. Then, in October of 2017, the Independent Office for Police Conduct, or the IOPC, would launch an investigation into the handling of Alice's case by the Northumbria Police. In September of 2018, the IOPC published their report. They found two cases of misconduct on the part of Northumbria Police. They concluded that one police constable failed to appropriately investigate Alice's report of stalking. They also found that the police sergeant did not properly supervise the constable during the investigation. Both officers were disciplined. The Northumbria police have since apologized to Alice's family for their failures in handling her case. However, it kind of fits with that whole apologizing after a vase has been dropped. You can say I'm sorry, and the forgiveness can be given to you. However, the damage is still done. Alice is never coming home. She can never be seen by her family again. She's never, ever going to live another day. And sadly, the Northumbria police could have helped prevent that. So, and I'm sorry, really only goes so far. I really struggle remember it because obviously I know what I did wrong and I know what I should have said and I know what I should have done and I know that I failed Alice. So yeah, that's pretty horrible. If these sorts of things are happening to you, that is stalking. It's a crime. The police have to take it seriously. The law needs to change so that she does have the protection that she deserved. I mean, Alice did what she was supposed to do. She did She did contact the police. She, she uh, reported everything. In Alice's case, Truman had past history, a restraining order against him because he'd been stalking another girl. Now, if Alice had known that at the beginning of the relationship, it would have changed whether she'd gone into a relationship with him and it would definitely have changed how she behaved at the end of it. This is still happening and we've not learned from these mistakes. It's not just that it's psychologically damaging and horrendous, it's, it's very, very dangerous. So before we say goodbye, I do want to share with you that although Alice's murder is heartbreaking and could have been prevented, 
Her family has established the Alice Ruggles Trust. They did this with a key question in mind. If another Alice presented herself to the police today, would the outcome be any different? They now help with police in dealing with and handling stalking and possible exes that could be a little bit murderous. I hate coming here and telling you guys these like horrendous stories without some, some silver lining. So at the very least, I can say that there is a bit of a good ending here. And with this horrific case, they are now stopping more like this happening, if that makes sense. They're preventing horrific murders by trying to help the police understand that stalking is very much something that needs to be handled. Anyways, that was the heartbreaking case of Alice Fruggles. I'm not sure if any of you have ever had any sort of issues where you've had to get the police involved because people have stalked you or done anything of an assault. I have and it's really, really, really intense. It's a lot. I actually had to move houses once because I had a stalker break into my home, do really, really gross things and it was just terrifying. They even send like this whole sex crimes unit and they do a bunch of stuff. It's, it was really intense and it's just, it's a lot. And I can understand sometimes how police can maybe not know what next steps to take, but I think there needs to be more help in that department. Like if there's stalking or if there's assaults happening, male or female, just everything needs to be handled better. But I don't want to sit here and talk about the system and how it's mishandled a lot of cases in a lot of different ways because we'd be here all day. Anyways, I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day, morning, noon, or night, whenever you're listening to this. Please always remember the stories I tell you are, although a bit horrific, they are also warnings. Many of the stories and cases I have for you come with some sort of moral or warning for you to take with you. In this one, please notice red flags in people before it gets, well, too far and you're slamming right into that brick wall. Narcissists come in many shapes and sizes. Covert, overt, and even just tendencies. They are terrifying, terrifying people, and they will mess you up more than you'll ever, ever be able to comprehend. If you're lucky, you can get away with a little bit of your sanity. And if you're not, well, then you'll end up dead. Well. It's time for me to go ahead and say goodbye. As always, if you'd like to send me a message, if you want to reach out to me, or if you have anything interesting you'd like me to look into, please send me an email. You can send me an email at whattheactualeffharmony at gmail.com. You can also add me on social media by looking me up at oh hey it's harmony. I'm on Instagram and TikTok. And if you're over on the book of face, you can add me as well at Harmony Miller. I think I can still accept friend requests. I'm not positive, but you can follow me. I don't really talk about crime over there though. I do just share a lot of memes. Anyways, thank you for listening if you made it all the way here. And most of all, before I say goodbye, I'd like to leave you with this. Please remember to stay safe. The people that we often love the most in the world can turn out to be the most dangerous. Monsters are very real. I assure you of that. And most of the time, they're right next to you. Love you. Later. Bye. Come